Welcome to Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel, with helpful travel tips, news and events, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from seasoned and experienced traveling anglers. This is your backstage pass to the world of fishing travel. Waypoints is fueled by adventure and brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing, a hands-on specialty travel and booking company that delivers the industry's very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered. And now your host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. So I am joined today by one of my all-time favorite Canadians. He's a great friend. We're going to kick things off the right way. You can't welcome a Canadian to the show without uh, a proper Canadian power ballad for our friend Will Flack right there. <laughs> yes, Will Flack, in the house with the Waypoint Studio here. We are stoked to see you. It's uh, it's great to have you in the house. Uh, so anyway, I'll give you a bit of background on Will Flack. Before we get started, tell you a bit about him as an angler. Many of you know the name, and a lot of you probably recognize his image from countless magazine ads, articles, and videos. He's the tall, lanky guy with the permit tattooed on the side of his neck. He's usually photographed standing on a polling platform, hauling a cooler, or releasing a fish. Will works with Sims, Costa Yellow Dog, and numerous other companies from throughout the fly fishing industry. And over the years, he's developed a reputation as one of the industry's more knowledgeable people when it comes to catching permit on the fly. Now, that said, I will preface this program and the following conversation with the fact that no one can make the claim that they truly have permit figured out. In fact, the person that claims to be an absolute expert when it comes to catching permit, someone who tells you that they have this full understanding of permit behavior, I will tell you that that person is probably full of crap. Uh, Will Flack will not do that. He doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but he's been nice enough to join us today. I will also say this, there is no doubt that if you lined up the world's top 10 permit anglers and guides and ask them the same set of questions, you would likely end up with 10 totally different perspectives and wildly varying opinions on how precisely to do things. Even among the world's best permit anglers, there are endless and conflicting opinions on what works and exactly what to do. In Will's case, what he does do is he fishes and guides permit on what is pretty much a year-round full-time basis. And while he's quick to tell you that he's still working hard to figure out and learn from these fish, he does in fact know a hell of a lot. So disclaimers have been delivered where we fully acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of different schools of thought when it comes to catching permit on the fly. And now we can actually begin our conversation. So Will, let me officially welcome you to the show. Hey Jim, thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you here. So give us the quick background story of Will Flack, where you grew up, where you're from, and how you first found your way to fishing. You know, grew up on the west coast of uh, British Columbia, uh, raised on Vancouver Island, uh, right where a bunch of different river systems went into uh, a big estuary. And uh, my father started us fishing when we were kids. The, uh, you know, we were chasing trout and salmon, basically, and steelhead and that just uh, led into my passion as a as an angler at an early age with my dad. So how did you decide that you were going to make fly fishing your career? 
didn't really decide per se. It was it kind of just happened. I was, you know, I, I don't think I was destined for an office job. That's for sure. The uh, I've always loved being outside, whether that was fishing, surfing, hiking, canoeing with my old man, uh, camping. It's just I just knew I wasn't going to be that regular nine to five guy. And it kind of just, I think it chose me more than anything. Well, there you go. So you're the owner of Belize Permit Club in Hopkins, Belize. And you also have Trace Pescado's Fly Shop up on Ambergris Key in northern Belize. How is it running operations and owning a large kind of lodge and outfitting business in Central America? What's that like? You know, it's uh, it's tough anywhere. You know, I've worked at a, a bunch of different operations over my, my uh, fishing career. Um, I've met countless people. I think... Uh, the the lodge industry, no matter where you are, whether it's Argentina, whether it's Montana, hunting, fishing, it's just it's tough. It's a tough gig, you know. There's things you can control, um, and there's things you can't control. I think if you are really good at controlling the things you can control, it's a recipe for success. And you know, the the right team, I think, plays the biggest part. If you if you build that right team, uh, and I've I've been fortunate enough to work with some fantastic teams in this industry as a guide, as a lodge owner, as a fly shop owner, if you find that, uh, hold on to it because you're going you're gonna to go big and go far. Well, that's good advice. Now, it's fair to say that you're a legitimate permit fanatic, as we talked about in the opening <laughs> of this show. Um, you started out in British Columbia and you grew up with steelhead and trout. So how did you first get into permit fishing and what sparked your obsession with chasing permit on the fly? So I caught my, uh, my first bonefish in the South Pacific uh, a very long time ago. And uh, ended up uh, in Belize with uh, a friend and a girlfriend a long time ago and uh, basically just fell in love with the country. I knew on the second day that I was going to live there eventually. Uh, for the, my first years in salt, into saltwater fishing, I just focused on bonefish. That's all I did. I just learned as much as I could. I was tying flies. I was at home guiding in, you know, back in Canada in the, in the summers and the fall and then trying to spend as much of my winters down in Belize. And that was kind of the start of uh of the fly shop the the lodge it was it was it's basically how i started um you know those of you who've known me for a while and met me in the early 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 years um i was tying flies down in belize and you know i was just known as the this crazy gringo kid that tied these badass flies and would sell them to the to people coming off tropic airplanes with fly rods and that's kind of how i supported myself for you know a few years actually paid the rent and found the beer. Yeah. Money. Uh, it paid for Bellicans. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's probably another podcast. We can get into that, but yeah, I did some crazy stuff in the early years for sure. So what is it in your opinion, Will, that makes permit as a species so appealing to saltwater anglers across the globe? What's, what's the draw of permit fishing? You know, it's uh, I think it's a sense of accomplishment. You know, it's uh, a lot of people call it the Holy grail um, of the flats for saltwater anglers. Um, it's just got this mythical status. I think once you've conquered the bonefish and the tarpon, you know, permit, they just don't readily eat flies. So, you know, get, you know, tricking one, fooling one, becoming, you know, a great angler chasing permit takes decades and decades of experience. Um, yeah, you're going to get lucky sometimes. Um, but to consistently do it all the time, day in, day out, I mean, takes a lot of dedication, you know, relationships suffer, uh, your personal <laughs> life suffers <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. I think it's just on this pedestal that everybody has. And it's like, I'm not a fly angler until I've got a permit. You know, I think that's 
the best way to explain it. It can be a bit addicting. It's uh, there. I, I'm going to warn people right now. Listen to this podcast. It's uh, way more lows than highs. That's how I explain permit fishing to people. If you're like being miserable and frustrated, ninety nine point ninety percent of the time, nine point nine ninety nine point nine percent of the time, then uh, yeah, your uh, permit fishing's for you. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Well, let's jump right into some technical talk and, and how to advice. Will that means that everyone listening at home may want to grab a notebook and a pen and prepare to copy? I'm going to ask Will all about his formulas and theories, his own personal theories on how to catch permit and why it is they do what they do. So let's start, Will, with an easy question. In your opinion, the best time of the year, is there a preferred season or are there peak times to find great permit fishing in the Caribbean? So before we get into that, I'll, I mean, I, I, I recognize a lot of people don't get to to do a lot of saltwater fishing. You know, maybe they get a week or two a year. And maybe their week or two a year only falls at a certain time. I'm going to tell you right now, if you get a chance to go saltwater fishing, whether it's bonefish permit, tarpon, just go. Um, if that's if, if you're able to go the only the second week of October every year, go the second week of October. Don't worry about the weather. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just go. Um, you know, the best time of year, I mean, in Belize anyway, which I'm familiar with, uh, you know, February to June is probably the most consistent fair weather. So if you want... The most blue sky, lighter winds, except for Easter, um, you know, February to June. My personal favorite time, and if you're in my boat um, and I fished you before, you can attest to this. When people ask me when my favorite time of year is, I love the summertime. Uh, in Belize, that's May to September. Um, a lot less pressure than the winter months and people trying to get out of snowy uh, Colorado or Montana. The... Uh, you know, that's, that's my favorite time of year, less pressure. Uh, the water warms up a couple degrees, which in my opinion for permit fishing is key. Um, you know, there's a, there's a water temperature range that they like, but summertime that water just gets that degree or two warmer and, uh, it's, it's, it's key for me. And then you got the fall. I mean, you can definitely hit good fall fishing Most before definitely. you get kind of those occasional cold fronts. Yep. Um, October, November can be fantastic yep. as well. And 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 a lot of people travel during that time, like American Thanksgiving, for example. We get uh, it's kind of like the kickoff for our season um, is your guys's Thanksgiving, and I get that question all the time on emails, phone calls. You know, what's the weather going to be like? And honestly, you know, October, November, some of the best tides of the year, some of the highest tides of the year big tide. So if you hit that weather window, correct, like, you know, there's a good chance, like if you book a week long vacation in November, um, you're probably going to have two or three days of not so good weather. But if you get, if you're, if you're lucky enough to get that two or three days before a cold front or after a cold front, I mean, lights out. Well, there you go. And, you know, you talked a little bit about this, you've mentioned weather. So describe in your opinion, kind of the ideal weather conditions for productive permit fishing and take into account things like, you know, air temperature, visibility, barometric change, anything that you think uh, is, is a key ingredient for good overall weather for permit. So in Belize anyway, I like the sea breeze. It's got to be East. It's changed a little bit in the last, you know, seven to 10 years. So it's like East Southeast is our, our trade wind now. Um, as long as you've got East Southeast 10 to 20, um, you know, sunny skies is key, not only for me as a guide, but as an angler, if it's your first time permit fishing, you know, if it's cloudy, it's going to be tough for yeah. you to see those fish. The more sun that you have as, as someone coming into permit fishing, um, 
you're going to have a, a little bit better experience. So yeah, just sunny skies, um, summertime, east, southeast, 10 to 20, um, tides incoming, outgoing. I like water movement. It's got to be water movement. Well, let's talk a little bit about that too. And, and we're going to get into tides in, in more detail here in just a moment. But let's talk a little bit about water conditions for permit fishing. What do you think are ideal water conditions? So we uh, personally, you know, I always go with my gut when I'm going fishing, what flats I'm going to go to. But a big thing for me in permit fishing and saltwater fishing in general, whether, you know, the water is really high or really low, it's got to be moving. There's got to be some movement. I mean, you could have the highest tide in the world and it could be, you know, the Calma Blanca, just flat calm. And you don't see anything, even though the tide's a 1.7 or a 1.8 it's uh there's nothing happening that 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 movement of that water on and off that flats is a key for permit fishing that's what i'm looking for and a lot of people will quit at at low tide but you know there's tides of different depths and if you think that permit don't feed on low tides you're mistaken so clarity obviously a big thing and so much of that is impacted by wind Mm-hmm. You get wind out of the wrong direction or you just get big winds that say have been blowing for a couple of days. Yep. A lot of times you can get that milky, murky water. Yeah. And the flats blow out and they get, you know, you've, it just, you know, there's times you go out and it's tough. It's if they're not tailing, you're not seeing fish. They might be there. They but... Yeah. But you're not, you're not going to, you know, the water's all turbid. Um, you know, Belize is really lucky. We've got that great inshore fishery. Um, a lot of turtle grass, water clarity. I mean, horizontal visibility is a hundred to 200 feet sometimes. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, just, you know, it's uh, another thing too. I mean, even if you do see the fish, you know, they're tailing and you know, the water's dirty, hard for that fish to pick up that fly. That's a good point right there for sure. Clarity, obviously important. So a moment ago, you talked about tides. You talked about moving water. Now, there's no doubt there are a lot of different theories on the best tide cycles or tide windows for permit. And anglers love to debate the importance of tidal fluctuations, moving water, tidal currents. In your opinion, how important is a tide cycle when fishing the flats for permit will? And how can these varying conditions affect permit behavior and feeding habits? I mean, you talked about the fact yep. that they love moving water. They love moving Let's water. Let's start there. So where I am in Belize, you know, we have a, it's a little bit different, like in San Pedro in the north. You know, it's a lot of deeper water flats, five to eight feet of water. Um, you know, they'll move in and out of channels depending on what the tide cycle is doing. Southern Belize, you know, a little more technical, you know, we've got these shallow water coral flats, sand, um, turtle grass. So that, that, that tide plays a key, you know, at lower, lower parts of the tide, like when there's dirt on the flat, you know, you got to fish deep edges, you know, stuff like that, that, that water is a key has to come on the flat for those fish to come up and feed. So, but like I said before about the water movement, if you've got the highest tide of the year, but it's completely still, there's going to be no fish there. They like uh, that flow. They, they, like they that, it's that a push secure, across it, their back. It's a security blanket. You know, they, that water rushing is pushing food towards them into them, you know, fish feed usually straight into the current and wind. So, um, that, that, uh, yeah, the water movement and that like the high, the low incoming outgoing, I mean, write this down. If you want my favorite tide in Belize, I would say high tide, like eight, nine o'clock in the morning and then outgoing till one or two. So, you know, we're waking up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. We're driving in the dark, sunrise. The tide's already halfway through its cycle. There's enough water and movement on the flats. So you're getting three, four hours, five hours of tailors and then fishing the edges and then gin and tonics. <laughs> well, you're talking about, you know, the, the ideal tide. And would you say it's, it's a, you know, 
too simplistic to basically say you have to be there at this tide or this particular moon cycle. I mean, as you mentioned, we talked about weather conditions being a factor. You've got water clarity. You've got wind direction, all that are other factors in addition to the tides. But bottom line is some sort of moving current that push across their back. Definitely. Um, you know, like I said before about the, you know, go permit fishing when you can. I mean, ideally, if you can pick the right, you know, good moon phase and look at the tides, you're doing yourself a bit of a favor. But like, if you only got that one week a year, go um, get the right guide. And he's going to put you on the fish or try to put you on the fish, depending on what, what, the, what the weather system is at that time and what the tides are. I mean, we've get, we get bookings all the time where, you know, it shows up. It's maybe not the most ideal tide or maybe not the most ideal moon. But I mean, if you've hired a quality guide, you're going to go out and you're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to work hard and, and you're going to try to put that, that person on the fish. It's, you go to a, a prime permit destination, really anywhere mm-hmm. in the Caribbean for that matter. Uh, those fish are there. They are. They're there. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, so much at that point rests on the shoulders of the guide to have a plan and to find those exactly. fish. Exactly. The fish, you know, where you fish and how you fish, let's say during a spring t- spring tide cycle mm-hmm. at a certain time of the year, uh, is going to be completely different than at a neap tide si- cycle yep. at a different time of the year. But fish are catchable exactly throughout. Mm-hmm. You just have to have a plan. You have to have the right guy. They have to know how to vary their game. Yep, and uh, and yep. put you on fish. Do your research when you're when you're hiring your guide. That's that's definitely key, especially in permit fishing. Um, yeah, but do the 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 water thing. All, you know, for me, it's water movement. That's the, I'm going to, you know, for everybody listening, that's for me, permit fishing. That's what I'm looking for. All about the flow. It, all about the flow. There you go. Well, well, let's move on a little bit from conditions and talk about permit behavior. And I know this is a difficult oh. subject. And as we said at the very opening of the show, I don't know that there's anyone that really has permit behavior figured out, but um, you've spent a lot of years pulling a boat, trying to put clients on permit, catching a lot of permit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you your opinions about permit behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, good fish versus bad fish behavior, as we say. They're all bad fish. <laughs> they are all have evil intent. Evil. Well, first off, tell me your thoughts on how permits see. Do they see differently when they're moving or cruising versus tailing and kind of posted up and feeding happily? Talk to me about your philosophies on how their vision kind of breaks down. Permits see everything. They see it all. everything. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you, if if you permit fish, which Jim, you've done a lot of it, just like me. I mean, you make a small movement on the boat from 150 feet away, and they're gone. And it's a flash from a reel. It's a shadow movement. It's a fly line in the air. Um, saltwater species and permit, especially, they just they they see it all. Um, the the feeding aspect of it, you know, like a cruising fish, say a school and everything. A single permit is definitely spookier than one that's in a big school. More hyper Yeah, Yeah, just like, you know, it's like a bait fish thing, you know. One single sardine is, you know, freaking out when it's with 10,000 of his buddies. Um, so, you know, like the permits just got this great, if you look at their anatomy and their eyeballs, I mean, they're just there's these dome eyes and they just see everything. You know, the feeding aspect, you know, when you have a cruising fish, it's kind of aware of what's going on, Right. When you have a in, in deeper water, when you have a, a, a fish that's in one to three feet of water on a flat and it's got its head down tailing, there's a zone that that fish is keyed in on. All right. He's, I call it the hula hoop. So, you know, when you're, when you're fishing to that fish, 
you know, you need to drop that fly within that hula hoop in front of that fish's head as it's tailing. And if it's anywhere outside of there, your chances go down, period. Because he's zoned in in that little two-foot circle, or you know, looking for that crab that he's, that he's, you know, trying to eat or he's looking under a rock. And if you drop it, you know, two feet to the left of him, he's probably, and especially if it's blowing east 10 to 20 on a good day, he's probably not going to see that fly, right? You got to get, you got to be aggressive. You got to put it right in front of them. I mean, that, that, even though they got that great eyesight, they are focused in that one zone eating right now. And oftentimes that's the time to deliver that cast, to drop that fly Shoot when him that fish is, is tailing, because you can really close that distance without him being hyper so, alert and super spooky. So my, my, my thing is like when I'm on the tower pulling and I've got guys on the deck and that fish is grubbing and you just see him tailing, 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 tailing hard and there's puffs of mud. I mean, drop it on his head. I want you to, and that's the number one mistake. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll talk about this later, but I think the number one mistake that um, permit anglers make is not being aggressive enough. I would rather have you hit that thing on the back than not show him the fly at all. At least you get the fly in there. You're learning to be aggressive. You're learning to deliver that fly where it needs to be. If you're still five, six, seven feet off all the time, and it's taken you five, six, seven, eight casts to finally get it in there, and everybody's been there. I've been there. You've been there. Um, be aggressive. Get it in there. Shoot him in the face. Bonk him on the back of the head. Hit him in the dorsal fin. Hit him in the tail. You're it's you're getting that muscle memory, and you're learning to. Hey, I'm trying to get that fly where it needs to be. That hula hoop. The hula hoop, baby. That's great. So your thoughts on like nearsighted versus farsighted limitations of permit, not so much. They see everything. They see everything. It's just whether or not they're paying attention yep. or looking, looking down, down, grubbing off the bottom. Yep. Well, that's good. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, speaking of grubbing off the bottom, how a permit eats. Natural food sources versus imitations. And, and here's something I'll throw at you, right? As fly anglers, we all know that permit are just maddeningly difficult. And we call them the Holy Grail. It's, it's you know, an accomplishment that every fly fisherman in saltwater hopes to, you know, check off their list one day, but they're tough, right? And then you go somewhere where they fish a lot of permit with live crabs. And you talk to someone on a dock or at a marina and they're like, yeah, we went out there and chucked a live crab on a bait caster and we caught them all day long. You know, the permit will oftentimes race over and inhale a live crab that's being presented mm -hmm. to them. But then you put, you know, a perfectly tied fly imitation right in that zone, and they're unbelievably picky. Talk yep. to us about the difference right there. I mean, do you think it all comes down to, to smell or the way it looks or the movement of that crab? What are your thoughts on, you know, situation A, permit smashes a live crab presented on a bait casting rail. Situation B, they're just unbelievably finicky. You put the yep. perfect fly in there. They swim over and they're like, yeah, it's a pretty good looking, you know, size two Bauer crab. Yeah. I like the feet on it. I'm not going to eat that. I mean, it go it goes back to everything. I mean, they, they're just, you know, like bonefish and tarpon readily eat flies. They just love it. You know, permit, on the other hand, are just very wary of artificials, their eyesight, their smell. Um, you know, is there sunscreen on the fly? Who knows? Um, Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah, Copenhagen. You know, rum, whatever Yeah, it is. exactly. Is it oil from the boat? Um, you know, those... They eat blue crabs all the time. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I see it all, all the time. And uh, the biggest thing I think is, you know, that that natural blue crab is doing what natural blue crabs need to do. They they swim the right way. They look the right way. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things when when fly fishing for permit is, you know, once the first step is learn how to see them. Second step is learning how to present the fly. But the most important thing is learn how to fish that fly. Do we really fish that artificial like a blue crab would swim? We all try to, 
but I think permit just have that DNA in their brain where they're like, yeah, that's not the right thing, man. I'm not, not it's real yeah, or it's not. Yeah. It's real or it's not. Um, we just our 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 focus as permit anglers is trying to get that, that fly in the right place. Most of the time fishing it well, most of the time and finding the right fish that, that, you know, that's why they're just so damn maddening. Well, so here's another question. Do you notice different feeding behavior from permit based on the type of flats that a permit might be on or, or a type of area of which he's feeding over? Are there certain places or, you know, a certain type of bottom where a permit is more comfortable or less wary or more likely to eat a fly? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I like, I like, I mean, if you can, obviously we all want to fish on white permit flats and we can see them everywhere. Um, mudding up with rays and stuff. I mean, my ideal situation for feeding a permit would be on like a, you know, like a molted bottom with a ray feeding and like, you know, one to four feet of water and, you know, two or three permit just on the back of that ray. That's my ideal situation. That's a 50, 50 for me. Um, you know, do they feed better on white sand or turtle grass? Um, they don't feed well at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> how about, uh, and speaking of feeding, how about a lot of t- people that are listening to this program might not be familiar with permit fishing or they haven't done it a lot, but mm-hmm. kind of favorite foods to permit. What's their, their typical prey? What are they going after on a regular basis? I mean, forget the flies and forget mm-hmm. the imitations. What a permit love to eat? I mean, shrimps and crabs. I mean, that that's... You know, northern Belize are crushing mantis shrimp. Uh, southern Belize are fishing, you know, the the small nickel-sized crabs, olive tan brown, mm-hmm. um, on the flats. They just, that's 90% of a permit's diet. They love crabs and they love shrimp. But permit, I mean, they'll eat bait fish in the past. Yep. We've, we've all caught, uh, you know. Permit, a, on a, uh, permit on a tarpon fly. A tarpon fly, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you're standing there with an 11 weight in your hand, out of the blue, permit swims right up to the boat. You kind of backhand a permit fly out, I think, and there's no chance he's going to eat it. You're on 80-pound shock, and, and it comes over, and he just sucks it right in. And it's usually like 25, 30 pound or two. Yeah. Crazy fish. But they, I mean, they eat all sorts of, of Yeah, I mean, you, they've, 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 they've looked at uh, the stomach contents, and, you know, urchins, worms, you know, like you said, bait fish. I've, I've caught a few on some gummy minnows, but, um, you know, 90% of the time, it's crabs and shrimp. Shrimp and crabs. Um, I mean, down where we are at the permit club, it's, uh, I mean, we're fishing crabs, you know, almost 100% of the time. You know, on a low tide situation, I might switch to a shrimp or something. But yeah, mostly crabs. Mostly crabs. All right. So I want to talk to you for a minute about some of the most effective techniques for getting permit to eat, or, or I should say most effective ways to present your fly mm-hmm. given some different situations, some okay. typical situations we see with permit, right? First one, you've got a permit that's feeding, he's tailing, he's obviously very happy, he's moving slowly. Again, where do you want to place that fly? Tailing fish, shallow water, moving slowly. Again, put it in the hula hoop. I mean, it, you know, you, you kind of change it up and it's it's hard to, you know, put every scenario into into one little thing. Like, I mean, when I'm on the back of the tower, I'm going to be telling you where I want the fly. But, you know, fish is moving slow. He's looking for food. He's got his head down. Put it in the hula hoop. You know, be aggressive. Um, you're going to be a little bit less aggressive if the wind's calm, like if it's only like five or eight knots out of the east, you know, where we are anyway, you're going to maybe want to lead them a little more and maybe it's a hula hoop and a half. Um, honestly, like if it's, if it's blowing hard, you know, 20 to 25 knots, I mean, we're going to, you're going to get 15, 20 feet away from that fish. I want you to drop it on his head. There you go. So how about next scenario, 
a permit that is trailing behind a stingray, feeding off of that ray, where are you placing that fly? Put it on the ray. Right on the back of the stingray. Yeah, you know, the, uh, in, and this happens a lot in, in my boat. You know, it's, as, a, as an angler, it's really hard to see a permit leave a ray and not cast to the permit. Don't do that. I don't, I don't like to do that. I, 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 that fish is just leaving the ray to go do a circle and come back and feed again. Um, at least where I am in Belize, um, that, that I, I don't want to spook that fish with two or three casts that we don't make it. You know, that fish is on a cruise mode. He just fed off the back of that ray and he's just doing a 25 foot loop and he's going to come right back and look to see what else has been kicked up. That's where you want your fly. So it's, it's, and it's hard for anglers, you know, especially guys who've maybe not permit fish enough, you know, I'm on the back of the boat. I'm like, don't put it to the fish. Wait, 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 wait. And then, you know, I see that fish make that turn and start to come, you know, it gets 10 feet away from the ray. I'm like, all right, put it on the back of the ray right now. That's, that's the key. That fish is going back to that ray because he wants to eat something. He's not eating something 10 feet away from the ray. That's not what he's doing. He's just doing a circle. Yeah, and, and for those that don't know, as those rays move across the bottom, mm-hmm. they're feeding too. Yep. They're kind of kicking up mud. They're kicking up all sorts of sediment off the bottom. And a lot of the favorite foods, a permit, are kind of scurrying around exactly. and fleeing. Mm-hmm. And that permit is on the back of the ray for a reason. Yep. That's an easy meal. He's a lazy eater. He's a lazy eater. And, and oftentimes, you know, it's a little cloudy and there's a lot of sediment mm-hmm. being kicked up by those rays. And so you drop that fly right on the back of the ray. The permit all of a sudden kind of out of the, the sand and the sediment sees what he thinks yep. is a real fly. It's, exactly. it's about as close to a, I won't say a sure thing, but like you said a moment it's ago, a 50, it's a 50-50. It's, it's, it, in permit fishing, it's the best shot you have. There you uh, go. You, you know, one permit on a ray, two or three permits even better because you get the competition going. But yeah, you know, on a ray, you want to put it on the ray. And you want, you know, I, honestly, just put it on the ray. And if that leader straightens out, just let that fly sink and you'll watch the body language that fish go over. Um, if it's the wrong color or wrong size, you'll see him spook off. If it's not, he's going to make a move towards that fly. Um, now, whether or not he eats it, you know, you got to watch the body language. So here's another scenario probably one that's a little more difficult. You've got a single fish. Mm-hmm. He's cruising in, let's say, four to five feet of water. Mm-hmm. He's not happy. He's not spooked, but he's he's clearly going somewhere. He's mm-hmm. kind of moving along. Mm-hmm. Where are you putting that fly? I mean, you're going to lead that fish, obviously. And judging by water depth and what he's doing, he's probably on the edge of a flat somewhere. You know, um, kind of hard to fish a crab in that scenario. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have a shrimp in that case, like a mantis shrimp, a EP shrimp or something like that. Um, one of Chacon's tide slaves, maybe. Are they going to eat when they're moving like that? Uh, I'd rather see them in a school or a few more. A single fish like that, I mean, you never know. It's permit fishing. Um, but you're leading him yeah, depending lead, on the depth. It, it, the, honestly, it depends on the depth of the water. Is size he, of your is fly. He, is he floating with his fin out swimming, or is he, mm-hmm. is he on the bottom? Is he halfway in the water column? Um, usually, you know, a few feet. Lead that fish by a few feet, cross him, strip it into him. Um Lots of times if it's a big fish and he's moving really slow, like kind of just floating with the current, I'll put it on his inside, um, you know, kind of just behind his eyeball, like he almost missed it and he has to turn and look at it. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, diff- it's, it, it's, it's a hard, you know, I'd rather see like some moving water and, and, and there's a cup, bunch of fish with him. At least, you know, you show it to two or three or four fish instead of one, there's a chance that, you know, one goes and the other is like, what's going on? And so so there's out. another one. Let's say you got a school of, of 10 fish, mm-hmm. all right? And again, they're kind of moving at a clip. They're in yep. a little bit deeper water. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to put that fly? Leading them again by how fast they're swimming. But I want to cross those fish. I mean, putting it straight on them, you know, they're... That, that's 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 a hard thing to get the slack out, especially if the boat's drifting. Like they're coming straight at you at say eleven to one, um, and you're drifting and they're swimming hard. Hard to get a good hook set on that situation. 
Um, I'd rather have them, you know, on a nine or 10 o'clock shot where they're coming and I can, you know, maybe not line spook them, but, you know, say there's like eight, 10 fish in a row, like you said, and they're like piano keys. I'm not showing it to one. I can get that leader across those fish and lead them and show it to four or five or six of them. There you go. You know, that's the ideal shot in that situation. All right. Here's the last scenario. This is probably your favorite as a guide. Dead calm, glassy day. You've got, you know, some tailing permit. You got some posted up, somewhat happy permit, but it is just glassy slick out there. What are you going to do? Go home, make a gin, two olives. <laughs> as tough as it oh gets. Oh, my God. Saltwater fishing in the Calma Blanca is as tough as it gets. Well, and, you know, anglers always say, well, boy, you know, the wind. The weather's we, great. We don't want big wind. Actually, you kind of do, do with permit fishing, and that's something to keep in mind. You you arrive at your destination, it's it's pumping, it's blowing hard. That's not necessarily a bad thing, so yep. keep that in mind, especially when you're going for permit. Yeah, I mean, you don't want the dead calm. The dead calm looks pretty out, takes pretty photos. Kiss of death. You're not catching fish. So I've got a question for you, and this is one of the, the great uh, overall kind of debates amongst permit fishermen. And again, this is going to depend on scenario and situation mm-hmm. and weather and certainly the behavior and mood of the fish. But you put it out there, you get it right where you want it to strip or not to strip. Do you move the fly? Do you let it sit? How, how are you handling that presentation on kind of keeping tight, stripping it, moving it? Does the fish see it? Talk to us a little bit about that. So, you know, every scenario is different, but they got to break that up into, are you throwing a shrimp or are you throwing a crab? I mean, the shrimp fly a little easier to fish, usually in some deeper water. That fly has movement all of the time. You know, you're, you're stripping it, you know, like a little one, two pause, one, two pause, you know, bringing out the jack and that, that permit, you know, it's a little, that one's a little easier. The hardest one is the crab fly. You know, any, any crab that's getting attacked by a fish, it's immediate think defense mechanism is to go straight to the bottom the and, then, pro- and then stand still yeah, claws and like up bury and itself and claws up and fight that the, the thing when, with permit anglers and, and and guys guys and girls that are just trying to get into the sport or or you know their first or second trip you know you're nervous your heart's beating you know i'm on the tower telling you to strip it real slow and you're ripping it like a tarpon fly um the problem is is that crab doesn't sink in the water column it comes up out of the water column completely 180 and unnatural to what a regular crab would do not the fish is going to eat that fly you know you, if, if, if you've put that fly to that fish in that hula hoop and you're fishing the crab, and he's in one to three feet of water, and he's tailing, let that thing sink. You know, when he looks up, give it a little tick-tick just to get his attention. If it's not getting his attention, another tick-tick. And, you know, that fly is still sinking, but you're just giving it small ticks just to pick up his attention. Once he picks, once that crab, that crab gets noticed by that permit, he's either going to spook or whatever, or he's going to come over and he's going to look at it. And that's where you don't, don't do anything. You can't do anything. Yeah. You have if, to if let the that crab jumps up off the bottom and yep. rushes the permit. He's going to say, this is not, this a is real not crab. right. The, the key is to not do anything at that moment that, you know, you're tight on your, you know, if it's windy and your leaders blown or the boats collapse and you got to still pull out this, pull out the slack. But if it's straight leaders straight, everything's good. You want to let that crab fall. Then the key, and you'll get this when you start to do a lot more permit fishing is to read the body language of that fish. Is he going to eat it? Does he turn sideways? Does he, excuse me, dip up and down. You know, that's, that's, you know, it's one of the hardest things is, is like I said, seeing the fish, number one, number two, putting the fly, the hardest one, fishing it, fishing that fly. It's a tough gig. And, you know, you touched on this a moment ago, Will, but one of the greatest pieces of advice I was ever given when I started permit fishing, and I tell 
clients and anglers mm-hmm. this all the time when, when they're kind of first getting into permit fishing, you got to stay calm. Now oh, that's easier said than done. Right. Mm-hmm. Roger that. And it's, you know, whether you're, you know, they call it buck fever, you know, if you're a hunter, but you think you're going to stay calm and all of a sudden the guide spots the fish He's kind of describing what's going to happen. He positions the boat. He turns it. You're ready to make the shot. And by that time, you're like a quivering pile of jello, right? You're just losing it. And (laughs) and it's like, okay, now I want you to make the best cast of your life and put it inside a hula hoop. Now, it gets hard. It does. And and so the best piece of advice that I always got and and that I love to share with people is, listen, you're going after fish that just assume it's not going to eat the fly. No matter what you do, you can do it perfectly. You can put it right where you want to put it. And that fish isn't going to eat. So just act like it's not going to eat. Mm-hmm. Don't get excited. Just relax. The fish is you know, going to be a bastard. You know that. Yep. So just make your cast, calm down, assume it's not going to eat, and you'll be fine. Yep. You know, if, you, if you get yourself so worked up. You've already lost before lost it started. It. Yeah, That's exactly that, right. I'm telling people to be calm all the time. And like you said, it's easier said than done. You know, when, I, when, I, when I'm on the bow, and I taught myself this years ago, you know, when I see a permit, or the guide points out a permit to me if I'm in Cuba, I look at that fish and all I do is I start to breathe. That's it. If you can breathe and stay calm, you're doing yourself a huge favor. If you get all worked up and you're you're looking at your, your line should already be ready. Don't be looking at your line. That's the number one thing too. Don't take your eyes off the fish. You know, just be calm. It's just, it, in the, at the end of the day, you're on vacation. You should be having a good time. Don't let the fish ruin your good time. Yeah, the son of a bitch is yeah, it's, anyway. It's, it's just, just assume like, that. If, You'll be one step ahead of the game. Full full disclaimer: like if you're into <laughs> permit fishing to catch fish, no, <laughs> don't do it. You're, you're messing with the wrong species. Messing with the wrong species. All right, so you're out on the flats. Everything that we've been talking about comes together. Mm-hmm. All right, you make the cast. Everything's perfect. You get it inside that hula hoop. All of a sudden, the fish moves on the fly, and you've got an eat. Mm-hmm. All right, it happens right there. So once that eat happens. Give us some key things to remember when it comes to setting the hook and playing a permit. Uh, well, if you get, if you're lucky, one of the lucky ones that gets an eat, um, you know, long strip set, obviously set the hook. Um, don't lift your rod until it starts to run. When it starts running, then you lift your rod. Uh, the number one, what happens in my boat anyway? You lose the fish in the first ten seconds. Now, whether and the for the most part, for me, it's either you hold the fish right and it snaps off. Uh, number two, you don't clear the line. That's the number one thing. Is it around the Pelican camera case? Is it around your foot or your sandal? Is it around the butt of the reel? Um, that's the biggest thing. When that fish hooks up, starts to run, you lift your rod, you got to separate your hands, look at the deck, clear that line until it gets to the reel. More times than not, once it gets to the reel, it's pretty much a landed fish. Um, you know, maybe where I am anyway, it might break off and, you know, deeper water on a coral head or something. Um, but if you can get it off the flat and onto the reel, it's, it's pretty much, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to land that fish. You know, and that's the great thing about permit is if you've held a permit, if you've really studied a permit, if you've looked at their mouth, mm-hmm. they've got these big rubbery rubber lips. lips, the hook stays. Yeah. They've got, you know, some crusher plates in the mm-hmm. back, which are hard, but the rest of the mouth is pretty soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the opposite of a tarpon and some of these other species. It's perfect for a hook. It's perfect for a hook. It mm-hmm. takes a hook set. Well, yep, it does. It does. Absolutely. So give us a quick overview in your opinion on how you fight a permit quickly to ensure a healthy release. And I ask this because a lot of times, like you just said, you've gotten that fish to eat. You've made that good strip set. You've cleared the line. The fish is now on the reel and chances are pretty good. You should land this fish. Mm -hmm. 
But that doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to spend 55 minutes no. landing this 11 pound fish no. because I don't want to take any chances. I mean, first of all, you need to have the right equipment. So, um, you know, nine foot, nine foot, nine weight rod is my, my thing. But, uh, you know, once you've cleared most of the obstacles, you know, like in Southern Belize, you hook the fish, you clear the coral, it gets out into the deep water and you're fighting it from the bow of a boat in say 80 to hundred feet of water. You want to be putting pressure on that fish. I mean, we're, we're, you know, usually fishing 16 pound, maybe 20 pound. If it's calm, it's 12, but, um, that you, you, you got it. When that fish stops doing something, you need to be reeling and putting some weight into the butt of your rod. You know, when it's running, your rod's high or, or to the side a little bit. Um, but you need to, you need to fight that fish, not just let it fight you. You know, a lot of people just, you know, maybe it's your first permit and you're scared. Maybe, maybe oh, I don't want to break it off. You know, I've only got 12 pound on, um, you can put a lot of pressure on 12 pound, you know, 10 pound fish with 12 pound. I mean, you should bring that in in 10 minutes. Um, that, you know, just keep pressure. You know, that's, that's it. Don't let the, you got to dictate the fight. Don't let that fish dictate what it's, what it's doing. You know, it stops. You need to be pumping that thing in, you know? There you go. Yeah. So you talked a little bit, uh, in that answer about equipment and I want to shift over to that right Mm -hmm. now. But first off, I want to ask you, do you think the color of your clothing matters when you're out on the flats fishing for a permit? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, neutral colors, whites, light blues, stuff like that. You know, khaki colors. Um, yeah, don't wear a red shirt. You know, saltwater fly. If fishing. you look like a big orange strike indicator standing yep, on the bow yep, of the boat, yeah, they're not, probably going to see. Probably it. not a good thing. There you probably go. not a good thing. I mean, you're the king of like the cloud camo. Well, that's kind of your signature yep. uh, uniform. Yeah, I mean, I I I, uh, I wear I wear that that shirt a lot. Um, you know, I, I mean, honestly, it's, I'm wearing like light grays, whites, um, you know, sky blue stuff, um, maybe like seafoam green or something, just like blend yeah, tropical colors. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the way to go. I mean, you want to give yourself every advantage. You don't want to be, you know, six feet high off the water on the bow of a skiff with a bright red shirt. I dressed like Tacky the Penguin out Roger there. Roger that. <laughs> All right. So aside from clothing, let's talk equipment for a mm-hmm. minute. Um, what type of fly line do you personally like for permit fishing? Right. I mean, right now I'm fishing a Cortland uh, guide and a Cortland Tropic Compact. But, uh, I mean, you just need a weight forward fly line, whichever, whatever one that you're used to. Floating line. Floating line is is going to do, going to be, you know, 100% of it. For what I do, I that's all I fish is a floating fly line. I mean, we're fishing shallow water. I mean, nothing really greater than five or six feet. And, and it's got to be a tropical fly line. It's got to be a tropical. Don't, yeah, don't take your trout line to, uh, to Belize. Um, wrong color and it's going to disintegrate. The, uh, yeah, I mean, any of those, any of those, uh, you know, from the major Something manufacturers, aggressive, yeah, aggressive head. head. Yeah. 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 Um, a lot of guys, a lot of guys, a lot of guys, I mean, that Tropic Compact line that I'm using right now turns over big flies and large crabs very well. Um, I just used it in Bolivia too, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great line. They're making Cortland's coming up with some great stuff right now. All right. So you, you, uh, mentioned this a second ago, but give us once again, rod weight, overall rod action that you're looking for. What do you like out of a rod for permit? I mean, personal rod right now is, uh, yeah, I just got that new sector, um, the, the Scott, but I've been using any, any, any nine foot, nine weight, fast action rod, uh, that they're just, uh, another, another one of my pieces of advice. I mean, not everybody can afford thousand dollar fly rods, but, but your rod and reel, I mean, spend some money on it. I mean, if you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on vacation and everyone's time's valuable, I mean, try Try to within your budget get the best gear that you can afford. I mean, it's uh, is a Kmart nine weight gonna 
help you? Probably not. The old saying goes, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Exactly. There you exactly. go. So anything specific for characteristics of a fly reel? High quality drag system, really. Um, again, you want you want to spend, you know, within your budget and uh, get the, the highest quality. I would say that's even more important than the fly rod is, is the reel. Um, one piece of advice I'm going to give you, uh, especially when fishing the salt, you want to take your drag off every day and you want to rinse that reel every day. Period. Yeah. Otherwise, no matter what the brand is. No matter what yeah. the brand is. I mean, I've got hatches that I've had since day one that have been, I've never rebuilt, never anything. They've, they're still going after 12 years. But yeah, you need to do that every day. You can't just go fly fishing in Belize, rinse your reel once, that drag's still on, and then put it in the closet till next year. I mean, that reel will be done. <laughs> the drag will not work. Yeah, no matter how much you spend. No matter how much you spend. There you go. So what's your preferred leader and tippet setup for a typical permit fishing scenario? Um, you know, fluorocarbon for abrasion resistance. I like monofilament just the way I like the way the knots tie in mono more than I do fluoro, but, uh, where I am, I'm using a lot of fluoro right now, just because of a lot of coral 10 to 12 foot leaders tapered. Like I said, whether you build your own or, uh, you buy the tapered ones off the shelf, um, 12, 16 and 20 pound. Um, my go-to every day would probably be a 10 foot, 16 pound leader. There That's what I'm fishing in Belize. All right. And do you alter the formula of your leader and, and tip it, you know, yeah. length, Absolutely. size, obviously with the windy days versus calm days. I mean, that's where you might be dropping from a, a 16 to a 12. Or yep. if it's super windy, water's a little off color, you might be stepping up to a 20. 20. Yeah, um, it definitely, it, depending on the weather conditions, um, you know, 10 foot, 16 pound on average days. I mean, if you're getting the, the, the Calma Blanca and there's no wind at all um, and you're still out there fishing, you know, 10, 12 pound you know, you would not dare fish 16 or 20. Um, and you know, if it's blowing 25 knots and you're out there and you know, um, you've got a good angler. Yeah. You're fishing 20 pound and you're dropping it in the zone. There you go. So read the conditions. No doubt. Mm-hmm. So aside from the rod, reel, fly line, the leader setup, we were just talking about what are some other important pieces of gear that you always have with you and in, in your boat or when you're out on the flats for a permit? Coast of sunnies. That's it. I mean, I mean, saltwater fly fishing is a site-based activity. Um, get a high quality pair of sunglasses. Um, if you're fishing the flats, that's amber, green mirror, um, copper, maybe that you need, uh, gray lenses don't work in, in, in the shallow water flats. That's an offshore lens. Um, but, uh, yeah, just high quality sunnies, amber, green mirror lens. That's that's going to help you a lot. I don't go anywhere without them. I'm wearing them right now, actually. And maybe something uh, in your kit for those overcast days too, like that sunlight silver. Yeah, mirror the silver lens. mirror by Costa. That that new mm-hmm. one. That's that's a game changer for sure. Cloudy days, cloudy days, early yeah. Late morning light. Yep, yep. All right. So, key piece of equipment, obviously sunglasses. Absolutely, got to be able to see. Absolutely, the most that's important it. Thing. Yep. All right, and and flies. Let's talk for a moment about that, and we're just gonna touch on this for a short mm-hmm. moment because we could easily do an entire show just next on, time. on permit flies yep. alone. But to keep it fairly short, what are your top three all around most effective permit flies that you'll always have with you in your boat or on the flats? I mean, where I'm in Belize, you got to have a Bauer crab, you know, developed by uh, Will Bauer and, and Lincoln. The, you know, that's probably one a fly like that um, is going to be in my boat all the time. Um, some kind of mantis shrimp. I'd probably go two crabs, one, one shrimp. So let's say Bauer crab, um, maybe one of Peter's flies, like a camo crab. 
you know, those, those nice small ones with the, with the, with the rubber legs. Yeah. Yeah. Peter from SS. Um, those are, those are great flies. Um, so yeah, probably a Bauer, a camo and a mantis shrimp. You know, I like Chacon's tide slave. Um, the, any of the EP spawning shrimps are probably a good bet. I mean, if you've got those three flies in a couple different colors, like tans, whites, and, and olives, I think you can pretty much catch permanent anywhere in the world with those. There Maybe a flexo. I actually put a flexo in there too. A flexo. Yeah. Yeah. The, the alflexo. Yeah. Sh- don't tell anybody. So does Alec Gerbic listen to this right now? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> never. Yeah, we're doing a show with him yeah, as well. Really so. perfect. Yeah. So let's talk about characteristics of effective flies. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there's, you know, wildly different materials. Uh, and of course you have different size hooks, obviously, obviously. And, and you can create different sink rates, mm-hmm. but what are some key characteristics for a permit fly in your opinion? I mean, don't, the number one thing is don't assume that because a permit fly worked somewhere, it's going to work somewhere else. Um, I get a lot of guys come in my boat with, you know, I was in the keys last month and I, and they bring all these really large lead eyed, you know, whether it's a scope strong arm or a big inverted Merkin, um, which is not conducive for fishing in Belize. We have smaller crabs. So like a lot of stuff that we fish is size six. Um, I fished some size four stuff, but it's mostly size six, it's, you know, small nickel size flies, um, you know, browns and greens. And I mean, the, the characteristics for us in Belize is the size. That's what I look for. When somebody opens their box, I'm not looking for color. I'm looking for, do you have the right size fly? Size and profile. Exactly. That's, that's go. key because, you know, the Caribbean basin, like Mexico, um, Belize and Honduras, where those, you know, the, the majority of those fish are, I mean, they're eating those smaller crabs. Mm-hmm. So I want to shift gears real quick. And again, another topic that we could do an entire show about, but give me, you know, your, your 60 second thoughts on spawning behavior. How does it affect the eating habits of permit kind of the spawning times for permit and, mm-hmm. and how it affects overall behavior? I mean, I still think, I don't think we figured this out really. I mean, I like to think, I, I like to think permit spawn year round, you know, and that depends on, you know, major weather events or major storms. Um, they say, you know, February to November, but I think, you know, I think it's year round. I mean, I've gone fishing in December where I couldn't find any permit. I'm pretty sure they were spawning. Um, you know, they like to spawn on the moon, you know, new or full would be, would be the two cycles. I like fishing before and after because, you know, you usually, that's when you're going to see those big groups, like in Belize anyway, you, no, no, no problem running into schools of 50 to hundred fish, especially in the Northern part of the country. Some of the aggregation sites, I'm sure the same thing at turn F, um, that it's just, you know, they, they group up, you know, they're going to spawn. They're kind of on the chew, you know, you, you probably good chances you're going to catch a large fish and the same thing after I probably, I like it better after more than I like it before, but after they finish the spawn, they come off the spawn. They've been off the flats for, for a few days. I mean, they're hungry. They really are. Yeah, that's and a you, good point. They're just, they're just, you know, they went out, did their thing, and they come back, and they're like, I, am, I need some sustenance. <laughs> and uh, if you're a permanent angler, it's a, it's a good scenario to be in if you find, you know, you know, a few days after the full moon in summertime, and you, f- you find a, a few big fish, and they're just grubbing, 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 especially on a ray. You're, you better hold on. Well, there you go. But like you said, you know, there's still so much that we don't know, we don't know. about spawning behavior, mm-hmm. times, you know, duration of spawning cycles. It's uh, you know, time of year. And do they all do they go to the same spot every time? Who knows? Yeah. Does, does this group of fish go to that same spot yeah. every month? We're learning mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, right I mean, now it's about that. it's uh, it's still so 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 many unknown factors. That's right. So, 
What, in your opinion, Will, are the most common mistakes that anglers make when fishing for permit or casting to a permit? Not aggressive enough. Not aggressive yeah. enough. I mean, obviously you're not being calm, but aggressiveness is, it's the number one mistake is with permit fishing is anglers not showing permit to fly. You know, two, three feet short is two, three feet short. You're not there. Well, like you said, put it on their face. Put, you know, we talked aggressive. about, they're probably not going to eat anyway. Mm-mm. So just assume that. Yeah. Get it in there close into their cone mm-hmm. of vision and see what happens. And the thing is, is like, you know, you, you've got your one week off a year, you're going to Belize, you're on vacation, you got your wife and kids, you've only got two or three days to fish, and you see your first school of permit coming at you. The last thing you want to do is spook them, right? In your head, you're, you're just freaking out and your heart rate's up and your blood pressure's going up and you just, you know, you throw it six feet short. It's just, it's not the right cast. You're and not I, showing them the fly. You're not showing them the fly. And like I said, drop it in them, let them spook. Nine times out of 10, they come right back and they eat the fly. <laughs> especially in that scenario. <laughs> All right. So what can someone do at home to prepare for a permit trip or a week of focused permit fishing? What can they do before they even get there? I mean, make sure you just got the right gear. Um, the biggest practice your casts. I mean, and when I say that it doesn't mean practice the three days before you come, it means a month or two before you're out once or twice a week and you're, you know, you just, it all is an hour or two every week, you know, for five or six or seven weeks before you come. And don't go out there and cast with your six weight. Go out there and cast with your nine weight or 10 weight. And with the line that you're going to be using, with the leader you're going to be using, and maybe you, you got a crab flying, you cut, you cut the hook point off, but at least you're throwing it. And, you know, you're not just picking it up when you get to Belize after a whole year since you last fished. Um, and believe it or not, for those of you that are listening, that happens all the time. All the time. All the time. And you don't just want to practice distance. No. Accuracy. The accuracy. hula hoop. Go right. go to the, the Kmart, the Walmart, wherever, the Target, buy a couple hula hoops or, or cones or whatever, or cardboard boxes, and put them in the backyard or at the local park. And people are going to drive by, you know, in their Teslas or their Priuses, and they're going to they're gonna be like, what the heck is going on? And uh, don't worry about those people. They're not going permit fishing. They're not going to be in the boat with no, you. No, they're not going to be in the boat with you. That's right. So... What's the most memorable permit that you've ever landed or been a part of landing, whether it's a fish you've caught yourself or a client's fish or a fishing partner? Have you got one fish that just sticks out above all others? Uh, I mean, this is like chapter nine of my book. But uh, yeah, I mean, so the the largest fish I've ever caught uh, on the fly rod in Belize um, was a, a 34-pound specimen. Uh, I've, I've hooked a couple others that have been bigger, but uh, unfortunately... They got the best of me. The client fish was a dentist. Forty-two would be uh, would be the biggest one, right in right in that range right there. It was huge. And uh, the the craziest day I ever had was with a guy named Randy from New Hampshire. We got ten in one day. Yeah, ten permit in one day. See, sometimes they do eat. They right? do eat for Rand- all for, comes together. for Randy from New Hampshire. If your name is Randy <laughs> and you're from New, New Hampshire, Hampshire, yes, get ready. Yeah, get ready. There we go. So what's uh, you know, to wrap things up, I mean, what will really continues to drive your passion for fly fishing and for working in the industry? You know, I, I love the people that I meet. I, I love my job. Like I said before in the start of this, uh, the podcast, I just was never destined for an office job being inside. Um, I was always just love being outside. I love the people I meet. I love that I go outside and I get to see the sunrise every day. And uh, whether it's raining or, you know, I get to see tailing permit and, you know, I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to say that I get to do that and pay my electricity bill at the same time. The, the people are, are great. The clients, 
the other guides that I get to work with, the lodge lodges I host trips to, um, you know, doing podcasts like this, meeting people at shows, the videos, the 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 articles. I mean, everything is just it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I I just hope I can continue to do it for as long as I can. And you know, I just I love everybody in the sport. That's I think you know we're we're a, a small, tight knit, hardcore community, and like you just you know this whole. I was just blown away by this, you know, kind of off, not really off topic, but uh, this whole Hurricane Dorian thing in, in the Bahamas. I mean, it was within days that the, that our community, and it's literally compared to everybody, other communities, were so, so small. I mean, the outpouring of love and support was just monumental. And if you were a part of that movement, you know, I can't thank you enough, but it was, uh, you know, YDCCF, you know, saw saw that. I mean, everybody, dozens for Dorian, all those people flying airplanes and driving boats to the Bahamas. I mean, you know, just the best people. No doubt. That is the fly fishing industry and the fly fishing community right there. Mm-hmm. Well, one final question for you, Will. So if it all ended tomorrow, how will Will Flack be remembered by the sport of fly fishing? It's <laughs> a trick question. <laughs> I just, uh, I hope that... Uh, I, uh, I gave back as much as I took from it. Uh, I just, you know, I conservation minded and, you know, teaching the next generation and, and hopefully, you know, you and I, um, as fathers have done what we needed to do and we've, we've, uh, left a bit of a legacy, hopefully like everybody else before us did. That's, that's my, that's my goal. I want, you know, we, we inherited this Jim, you and I, and, and everybody else, and I just, you know, I, it's the same old adage, you know, you want to leave it better than you found it. And it's getting harder and harder these days to do that. And, uh, I just, I just hope that when people look back at, at, uh, our generation that, uh, you know, we did the best we could with what we had and, and, uh, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's what I want to be remembered for. Well, there you go. Well, Will, thanks so much for sitting with us today. We appreciate you being on the show and thanks. sharing your insights and knowledge on permit. It's uh, It's been great to talk with you. And that's it for this episode of Waypoints. Uh, be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com to plan and research your next fishing trip and to sign up for newsletters and notifications of new podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox. You can also download the latest Yellow Dog catalog, check out the travel blog, and sign up for insider deals and specials. Be sure to join us on our next episode of Waypoints. And remember that no matter where you go, what you're doing, or who you're with, get outside and get on the water because no one ever regretted a life of adventure. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Thank you for joining us and be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more trip updates, travel news, expert advice, and adventure profiles. Thank you.